You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Good morning everybody. My name's Dharmendra Kanani. I'm Director of Strategy at the Friends of Europe and it's a real pleasure, real pleasure to welcome you here on this beautifully sunny morning. Um, in Brussels, to the um, discussion around the trucks, the future of trucks. We're really pleased to be able to um, have the global, the global announcement here today um, of this report, which is the, the future of trucks, implications for energy and the environment. Um, so this is where, you know, Fatih Barol, the executive, president, uh, executive director of the IEA, is going to be launching this report globally. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to engage with what is being forecasted, thought through and what the policy options are for all of us um, as we try and work towards the uh, goals of climate change that we have um, agreed um, uh, as, as a global community, um, which are going to be quite challenging over the next 20 years or so. What we do know um, is that if we are to achieve our goals, we need to work at three levels. We need to work at the policy system and a sector level. And as we've been working through this agenda at Friends of Europe as a part of our area of expertise on climate and energy, we know that we need to keep an eye on all three levels, at the policy, systemic, and at sector level. And this is one of those examples where economic growth, um, as, as, we are as we are witnessing it, is giving rise to certain sectors that are eating or rather consuming more of carbon than we anticipated and this is where we actually have a focus on trucks and to think through how can one this one sector which has a huge implication on each achieving our targets over time can be responded to in a way that sustains economic growth whilst being able to adapt to the needs of our of our climate change goals so that's what we want to that sets the framework for this discussion at the heart of it I suppose, and many of you know this, is our capacity, our capacity to invest in R&D effectively and not simply jump into the latest wheeze of, you know, a new, a new type of fuel, but really think through the lessons from the past and actually adapt what we need to into the future if we're going to get both the policy system and um, sector issues right. So it gives me a great pleasure first to welcome Fatih Birol to the stage and to set out the, uh, the discussion around the trust, but also what your policy options are for all of us here gathered today. Thank you very much, Fatih. Uh, good morning, Excellencies, uh, Mr. Vice President, uh, dear colleagues. Uh, it is a great pleasure to be here uh, today. To be very frank, I am uh, happily surprised that the, the topic trucks could uh, attract uh, more than 200 people here. I am very happy to uh, see that, as it is very much in line with our intuition of the year. We are going to present you in a minute, and you will find the report on your uh, uh, tables, the first ever study on trucks, their significance in oil markets and environment. And this IES study, uh, which looks at the current role of trucks in the oil markets and the 
in the next years to come for climate change and uh, beyond. The numbers, when I look at the numbers, I can tell you one thing. I believe trucks, they are an unforgotten elephant in the debate. I will show you the numbers in a minute. And uh, there is a lot of discussion in the transportation sector on cars, electric cars, which we should have. But when you look at the numbers, cars and trucks, I think we have forgotten this uh, debate, and it is the very reason we made this study. My special thanks go to the uh, European Commission for the great support uh, we have received. We look at the entire world, of course, you will see in a moment, but the support we got from the European Commission is uh, very much appreciated, especially we are uh, honored and privileged to have Vice President Shevkovich uh, with us here. Uh, January this year, uh, when I had the idea to ask uh, uh, Vice President Davos, uh, Maros, we are making such a study on trucks. I was trying to explain the significance of the study and try to uh, invite him to this very event. He was already aware and he kindly accepted to come here. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Shevkovich, to be here with us today. With the Commission, as I said, we work very closely. I appreciate also the excellent work we have with uh, uh, DG uh, Energy, with uh, Dominic Ristori and his team, as well as Joint Research Center, with which we organize a workshop on this uh, very issue. We work on this study uh, with several, almost all key trucks companies, many oil companies and refinery companies who are going to be affected from the development of uh, trucks as well as uh, research uh, institutes. This study is, a, a, as I said, first ever globally and first ever, of course, for the IEA, has been carried out with my, uh, two of my colleagues, Pierre Paolo Cazola and Dr. Timul Gür, and by their teams. Now, why trucks are important? Why did we do this study? First of all, when you look at the numbers, trucks are the fastest growing sector in terms of uh, oil demand. And uh, today, they consume about 17 uh, million barrels per day, and they are just the second largest source of global oil uh, demand, all oil demand. When you look at the diesel, which is very important for many uh, uh, refineries, they alone make up about the half of the global diesel consumption uh, today. So from oil demand point of view, oil markets point of view, they are extremely important. Then if you move to the emissions, they are responsible about 35%, more than one third of the uh, energy transport-related uh, emissions, and when you compare with cars, where there's a lot of public attention, cars about 40%. Cars 40%, trucks 35%. Uh, and in addition to climate change-related impacts, trucks are also an important source of air pollution in the uh, cities, especially in the context of uh, NOx. Now, these are big numbers. These are, in my view, are surprising numbers, especially 
if you compare them with the public attention, policy attention given to trucks. We look at all countries in the world, one by one. Today, more than 40 countries have fuel efficiency standards for cars, mandatory standards. But for trucks, only four. Just four countries in the world have fuel efficiency standards for uh, trucks, which highlights the very challenge of putting efficient standards there. I know that the uh, European Commission is uh, working uh, to look into this issue, but currently there are only four countries which, are, uh, which have mandatory efficient standards, such as US, Canada, Japan, and old time, and uh, China. These are the four countries have that uh, attention. Now, the objective of our study is we know that the trucks are very important for our daily economic and social life. We need them. How to uh, uh, continue to support the economic activities while we have the oil demand growth and emissions under control. Now, I want to bring to your attention, again, with numbers, why trucks are really important and really deserve the attention uh, for the measures we should take to them. Worldwide, global oil demand uh, increased from 78 to 92 million barrels per day in the last 15 years. And when we look where this oil demand growth come from, it came mainly from the transportation sector plus petrochemicals. This is uh, altogether another issue. But when you say transportation sector, many of us think it is cars mainly or only, but when you look at the breakdown, you see that the contribution of trucks to global oil demand growth was exactly in line with cars, both about 40%, uh, uh, and the pace of growth of trucks are much faster than cars as we have efficiency standards for cars, which slows down the oil uh, demand uh, growth. And uh, this is, uh, the, again, the biggest source of oil demand growth. And when we look at the future, trucks, today we have about five million trucks uh, 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 across the uh, world, the sales, uh, and when we look at the sales, they will be doubling in the next uh, years to come, from five to ten, roughly. And there are four major markets, U.S., China, Europe, and India, in that uh, order. And when we look at the countries and the regions, we see, unlike the car markets, consolidation of the truck manufacturers. For example, in Europe, four manufacturers, they are responsible about two-thirds of the truck's production. These are uh, the Daimler, Volkswagen Group, Volvo, 
and Renault-Nissan. So four of them altogether responsible about two-thirds of the truck manufacturer. It is a similar picture in, for example, India. More than 50% comes from uh, Tata. It's the same in the United States. So the number of actors are rather limited, unlike the, uh, unlike the uh, cars. And one of the reasons, perhaps, why there is much attention on cars, not enough for trucks, is that when you look at the, uh, the, the fleet today, we have one billion cars in the world. One billion cars. And this compares about 60 million, 60 million trucks. One billion cars, 60 million uh, trucks. Perhaps it is the reason why we don't pay enough uh, attention to uh, uh, trucks, even though the, their contribution to oil markets and CO2 emissions are comparable, if not higher in the future, than uh, cars. Now, about emissions, a big challenge for uh, all of us global emissions, and when we talk about uh, emissions, there is, in addition to cars and uh, trucks, there is a, a growing attention given to aviation, for example. They are making, in the next years to come, major contributions. It's an area that we have to look very closely. But a big portion of the discussion is focused on coal today, generally, in the energy markets, in terms of the climate change. If you look at the emissions coming from the world's all of the world's coal power plants in the next uh, 35, uh, 40 years, 2040. Plus, all the coal used in the worldwide, in the industrial sector, making iron, steel, uh, 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 whatever. If you put all of them, the coal use in the uh, world power, coal power plants plus industry, they are smaller than the emissions going to come from the trucks if we don't change the policies just put it on the table, how important to take measures on the trucks. The trucks emissions growth will be higher than those in the emissions going to come from the coal-related power plants and the coal-related consumption in the entire global industry uh, sector. And when we look at the uh, future, they are a major contributor to uh, CO2 emissions. Now, the, up to here, perhaps two, three things, if I may uh, uh, summarize. They have been and they will be a major contributor to oil demand growth, as such having a big impact on the oil uh, markets. Second, they are and they will be more and more an important determinant of the environmental parameters, including climate change and uh, local pollution. And third, the, on the contrary, there is little public attention on trucks, and there is not enough uh, awareness and not enough uh, measures and policy develop. And it is the reason we, we come up with, a, <coughs> as we call it, our uh, vision, our scenario for a modern uh, truck uh, future. How can it be modernized? What uh, we can do? And therefore, we have developed, uh, as we call it, the IEA modern uh, truck scenario developed by my colleagues uh, uh, Timur and Pierre Paolo. First one is to 
improve the uh, fuel economy. There is a need for efficiency improvements as, uh, and standards uh, uh, set in place as it is being case in the four countries and uh, in uh, uh, Davos, when I had the pleasure to discuss with uh, Mr. Vice President, he told me that he is very keen the Europe to look at this issue closely. This is one of our suggestions. And the second one is to have differentiated taxes between the lower efficiency and higher efficiency uh, uh, trucks in order to reward the purchase of more efficient uh, trucks. So this is the first one we are uh, suggesting in our uh, 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 scenario. The second one is something uh, we call improvements of uh, logistics. It means by using more data, sharing more data, trucks will travel with much more loads in their, uh, um, in their system, plus their trips will be optimized, the distance will be shorter. This is true optimization of uh, data. Try to uh, work with the companies, with the operators, by sharing uh, data so that uh, we, imp uh, we uh, optimize their loads and optimize their uh, distance uh, traveled. And third, in the longer term, there is a need for increasing uh, R&D efforts in order to make use of uh, alternative fuels, such as making use of uh, natural gas, advanced, advanced uh, biodiesel, or uh, electric uh, trucks, as well as uh, using, making use of uh, hydrogen. So these are the three suggestions uh, we have. Fuel efficiency standards to improve the efficiency and improve the logistics uh, here and find the, uh, find the optimal uh, distance traveled and uh, the load uh, carried by the trucks. And third, a bit of long-term support the R&D to look at the alternative fuels and build the infrastructure uh, for that. Uh, when we look at the, our scenario and what is available uh, here, we have again seen that the biggest chunk of the improvements come from uh, logistics, followed by uh, efficiency as uh, well as uh, the uh, parts coming from the fuel switching from uh, oil-based uh, products uh, to uh, others. Of course, it is uh, easier said uh, than uh, done. Uh, compared to, for example, when I compare this to the emission reduction in the power plants or in, in the case of uh, the industrial sector, it requires much stronger policies as there is a rigidity in the system. To finish uh, our uh, 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 remarks, let me tell you that we believe we are not the enemies of trucks or anything. We believe trucks are doing a very important work. They are uh, delivering goods, commodities from one distance to another to make our lives, economic lives, much more uh, productive, much more uh, easier, and bring them to the uh, shops. Therefore, they are a very important part of our economic life. This is number one. Number two, however, 
we see that they're a very important driver of global oil demand uh, growth. And uh, when we look at the next years to come, their role will be as important in terms of growth as the petrochemical industry. These are the two major drivers, trucks and petrochemical industry. Therefore, if you are not even interested in the climate change part of the debate, you have to be interested if you are a, a company, how the trucks use is changing to understand the oil market dynamics. You cannot afford to look at only cars, otherwise you are making a major mistake. And from, a, 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 again, a CO2, the climate change a point of view, they are uh, becoming a major uh, uh, driver of CO2 emissions, especially as the uh, emissions coming from uh, cars are slowing down, mainly as a result of existing efficiency standards. And there is already a penetration of the alternative uh, vehicles there in terms of electric cars and uh, beyond. So uh, our uh, vision, we just came up with a solution as we try to do uh, with the uh, uh, IEA now. First, we would like to push the governments. For example, we are working now with the Indian government to uh, set the right efficient standards uh, for trucks by uh, getting inspiration from the uh, countries who already established those standards as well as looking forward to European uh, Commission's uh, view here. Uh, the first, uh, we want to focus on the setting the vehicle efficiency standards. Then, how we can improve the logistics. This is important, as I said, how we can improve the distance traveled and the load within the uh, trucks, how we can do it working with operators. But here, data sharing is extremely important, and there's a role for policy support here. And third, our third suggestion is to uh, look at the options to substitute, in a way, uh, oil products in um, uh, trucks, such as natural gas, such as biodiesel, and uh, electricity, maybe, and uh, hydrogen. So, uh, to finish, uh, we are, uh, as uh, IEA, uh, we look at all the technologies. Uh, uh, just one month ago, in the Clean Energy Ministerial Meeting in China, where all the ministers across the world was there, and again, uh, Vice President, uh, uh, represented a, a European uh, Union together with the Chinese, Americans, and uh, others. A big topic there, transportation, was electric cars, and IEA was very, very visible. And here, we look at the trucks, again, a part of the uh, debate, and we think it is very much in line with our, one of our uh, objectives in terms of modernizing the IEA this time, is being a, a global hub for clean energy and energy efficiency. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Thank you. Please take a seat. Can I invite the other speakers to take their, their seats, please?
Thank you for that, Fatih. As ever, um, you have the capacity to make something that could be potentially really boring or complicated, really simple and effective and easy to understand. Um, and your presentations are always very welcome for their, their ability to get to the right of the, right of the heart of the issue. Now, Clearly, as you said, trucks aren't a, for those of you in the industry, not the sexiest thing for social policy, but we do know that they are clearly, from the evidence uh, contained in this report, a significant uh, player, um, either an enabler or a barrier to achieving some of our targets into the future on climate change. Um, you set out a vision for a kind of a, a modern uh, a truck scenario, if you like, and so I want to invite... Um, Vice President Commission, Commissioner um, Sefkovic, who to sort of respond to some of the issues that have been raised, because you obviously are part, you know, there with the Energy Union. Some of the things, and many of the things that are being suggested, require member state activity, and we know globally that actually it's not many. Much of the Europe, much of Europe is actually leading the way here. So I offer you the opportunity to say a few words in response to what you've heard. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning, dear Fatih, ladies and uh, gentlemen. Uh, I was surprised that Fatih saw that trucks are boring. Apparently, he hasn't been with me in many of the social dialogues we had with the trucks industry, and he could see that the uh, truck industry is actually very, very alive, uh, and uh, they're going through very important uh, transition, and therefore I would say that if it comes to the truck industry, it's definitely not the for forgotten elephant in the room anymore. And uh, therefore, I really would like to thank Fatih for the timely presentation of uh, this report. Uh, and I'm very glad that uh, all the topics which we are raising in the course of transforming uh, energy landscape uh, in Europe, we can do it in such a close cooperation with the International Energy Agency because they, they input uh, and also the analytic uh, capability is extremely useful when we pre propose uh, new legislation or where we set up the framework for the new European discussion as we have already uh, done it uh, for the mobility issues uh, uh, in uh, Europe. I think if uh, we would uh, just try to make uh, a kind of conclusion by one word from the report Fatih presented what it should be. Clearly the word would be urgency. We need to act. We need uh, to come up uh, with a solution to the challenge uh, which uh, the truck industry in, in various uh, aspects as it was presented a minute ago is presenting uh, for Europe. And therefore I hope that uh, not only we uh, in the Commission but many of our colleagues across the Member States, the representatives of the truck industry would study uh, this uh, report uh, very carefully and uh, just to become better informed, just to see the scale of the challenge and also to uh, understand why we clearly feel in the European Commission that now it's uh, time uh, to act. I think Fatih made a very good uh, link between the energy security, greenhouse gas emissions and air pollution on one side and the road freight transport on the other side uh, and uh, this is something what I think we have to bear in mind when we discuss uh, this issue. At the same time, I think it was also quite obvious from the current situation, but especially from the incremental curve of uh, growth uh, if it comes uh, to the potential uh, greenhouse gas emissions or if it comes uh, uh, to the number of trucks which would be 
on our road that this is the global challenge. And uh, therefore, at first, we in the European Union must live up uh, to our own demands. We have to assume our responsibility. We have to do our homework. But at the same time, we have to uh, show the leadership. And um, um, therefore, we've been working on the issue of the mobility of the cars and uh, trucks uh, already for uh, some time. And uh, I'm sure that uh, you are following what we do in Brussels very concretely. So I do not have to uh, delve into the details uh, of our uh, low carbon mobility uh, communication a year ago or the new narrative which we presented just a couple of weeks ago when we presented uh, uh, our uh, set of proposals under the headline of the Europe of the move uh, or how to have the clean, connected and competitive mobility in Europe. You have seen that our first part of the initiative uh, presented such a wide set of uh, measures designed to make traffic safer, to encourage smart road charging, reduce CO2 emissions, air pollution and congestion, cut the red tape for the businesses, fight illicit employment, and assure proper working conditions for everyone in the sector. And of course, our objective is that the uh, uh, transport sector uh, must be competitive, but at the same time uh, socially fair, and uh, we would like to achieve it uh, through the advancement and use of the new technologies and uh, the digitalization. As Fatih described, uh, the IEA have identified such a three key enablers on modernizing the, the truck industry, encouraging vehicle efficiency, supporting systeming improvements in the road freight operation and logistics, and boosting the use of alternative fuels and alternative fuel trucks. I totally agree with him. And uh, if you allow me, I just comment very briefly on uh, how I see these three opportunities and how we can uh, use uh, them in uh, Europe. Our uh, estimates suggest that the freight transport in Europe will also grow and will grow quite significantly by some 60% between 2010 to 2050. Heavy-duty vehicles account for around 25% of EU road transport CO2 emissions and heavy-duty vehicles emissions are to rise by uh, up to 10% between 2010 and 2030. So it's already here. We are already in that, uh, in that curve. And the figures make it obvious that we have to take uh, action, that we must promote uh, more fuel-efficient uh, heavy-duty vehicles, not only to carb emissions, but also to ensure our competitiveness in the global race for clean technologies. Our uh, mobility package from May of this year already includes uh, the proposal on monitoring and reporting of CO2 emissions and the fuel consumptions by heavy-duty vehicles. Manufacturers of the new large trucks would have to calculate their CO2 emissions and fuel consumption as of January, January uh, 2019. And we want to collect and publish this data. At first, I would say to increase uh, the transparency and to close the knowledge gap on vehicle performance. We just simply want to know what's going on in the European truck industry. How much uh, do they really emit? How each of the uh, trucks uh, uh, is doing comparing to others. So we would have a better, more precise information and the consumers and the customers would have a better choice. 
We believe that if we would have this uh, transparency and the precise information, this would enable transport operators to make better informed decisions on purchases and thus reduce uh, fuel bills, uh, which can, in a case of small and medium-sized enterprises, represent around 30% of uh, the operating costs. In addition to this, we aim at proposing new legislation on heavy-duty vehicles fuel efficiency standards in early 2018. And as you know, this will be first ever EU legislation specifically addressing heavy-duty vehicles emissions. And uh, I'm very glad to Fatih that he reminded us once again that uh, we are not pioneers in uh, this effort because the United States, Japan and China already have such standards and they are respecting them. Of course, our proposal will not be copy-paste, but will be based on a solid impact assessment, and we want to make sure that when we propose uh, the new standards that we will be proposing the most suitable uh, solution for the European Union. So if you allow me, I would move to the second enabler to the systemic improvement in road freight and the logistics. I think we all agree that we need a more efficient uh, system. Digitalization, big data, automation, self-driving, low emission vehicles, the Internet of Things, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, all these are potential game changers for entire system. I was very impressed uh, when the mayor of Rotterdam was already telling me that they are trying to calculate how much 3D printing can affect the operations in the port. How many spare parts, how many uh, materials we would be still importing to Europe, and how many of uh, these products which we import today could be in the future easily 3D printed on the sites of the companies which they are using. The numbers could be, could be staggering. At the same time, we are already calculating that how much you can optimize uh, your operations if you really would be able to put uh, the small chips on most of the, uh, the products uh, you deliver, you transport, because then you can better plan, you know, uh, where these goods are and how you can uh, better plan uh, the route for the, for the trucks to collect and distribute them. All these things are happening right now, and I think that we in Europe have to be absolutely prepared for this new revolution uh, which is taking place uh, in all uh, spheres of industry, including the trucking and including uh, logistics. Because they can make a real difference in terms of efficiency, competitiveness, and better use of uh, existing resources and uh, infrastructure. So if I would have to sum up this part of my presentation, I would say that data is the new transport fuel and driving the development of uh, innovative services. Better information on traffic and infrastructure, supported by truck routing system. This would enable speed and route adaptations and thus reduce fuel consumptions. And uh, in this case, uh, because I am also responsible for coordinating of the space policies, I would just highlight that we have now the early services of the most uh, precise uh, global navigation system on this planet, Galileo. They are providing the early services as of uh, January this year, so let's use the signal. Let's use it for build new navigational system. 
Let's uh, use it uh, for development of the new smart tachographs, which allow us not only to track the goods, but also to plan uh, the routes uh, for our tracks uh, better. Because I believe that uh, the better supply of uh, uh, chain data and the management, sharing of this data, uh, can really help us to, to facilitate what is called freight bundling and asset sharing, and can really improve uh, how we load uh, the, the vehicles and how we can reduce the number of empty runs uh, in the EU. Automated and connected vehicles and connectivity will allow for real-time adaptation of planning and thereby, uh, thereby enhancing logistics efficiency. And what is very important, uh, better information on the greenhouse gas emissions from transport services can facilitate benchmarking and drive overall efficiency gains. But even if innovation means a better use of existing infrastructure, it will still be difficult uh, to accommodate rising mobility demands to avoid saturations of the road system. I'm very often talking to the mayors. We are working with them on uh, smart city concepts, not only for Europe, far, but uh, the worldwide. And uh, I was always under the impression that we, when we talk about uh, the challenges between the mayor's duty uh, uh, to the citizens uh, of their towns and uh, organization of the industrial lives of the city, that the major problem would be air pollution. They're telling me air pollution is a very important problem and we have to deal with it. But even bigger problem of these days are congestions, that our cities are simply blocked, that you cannot use the cars and, and the trucks because they're losing so much time uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the traffic jams, that we, have, we are faced with these logistical nightmares almost in all cities in Europe, and I think we have seen that this morning in Brussels as well. That would be the challenge, how to organize uh, the, the transport in a way that our cities could strive, could perform, and not be permanently blocked uh, uh, by not very well organized uh, traffic. Therefore, I think one of the answers we have to look for would be strengthening of multimodal transport. We uh, have to uh, address this issue, and we will provide uh, the, the new ideas in uh, the directive upon which we are working on, on the combined transport which we want to present later this year. So to sum up, I have to say that we must use uh, uh, all transport modes and we have to combine them. And for this, we would need uh, to overcome technical and administrative bottlenecks uh, and uh, we have to develop right physical and digital infrastructure and operate corridors uh, and hubs as a network. And this will benefit all modes and all users and is, as I said, necessary to keep our transport system functional and our cities good for living. So if you allow me to conclude on a third challenge, use of alternative fuels. I think here we need a gradual transformation of our transport system as well. For this there is no single fuel solution. There is no silver bullet which would uh, take care of all the problems. All main alternative fuel option, options must be, must be pursued with a focus on the needs of each transport mode. Since public procurement represents a large part uh, of the market, it can stimulate demand for low or zero emission vehicles. We will therefore propose a revision of the directive on clean vehicles later this year. At the same time, research and development uh, remains essential. 
the electrification of transport should accelerate. And the Commission will support, for example, industry-led initiatives for a full battery value chain in the EU. Likewise, advanced biofuels and other low-carbon fuels can help reduce our reliance on fossil fuels at uh, costs similar to those of petrol and diesel in the medium term. But clearly, however, the pro prospects for low-emission alternative energies uh, uh, differ among the transport modes. For road freight, further improvements in the internal combustion engine will still be needed. And in the medium term, advanced biofuels and natural gas will be particularly important. The potential of natural gas uh, can be increased significantly with uh, power to gas technology with the use of uh, bio and synthetic methane. And uh, I can tell you that when I'm talking to the truck uh, industry representatives, I hear quite often they would like to use more of a CNG or LNG in our trucks. But you have to talk to manufacturers because currently these trucks are one and a half or two times more expensive than the diesel cars. That we should do something about that and I think it's the task for all of us. But we are also clear that the availability of the most alternative fuel depends on dedicated infrastructure uh, to deliver them outside the current refueling system. That's the challenge for the trucks, that's the challenge for vans, that's the challenge for personal cars. And therefore we are working on a new initiative to accelerate uh, the rollout of alternative fuels infrastructure across the Europe and we'll present, uh, we will present this as a part of our mobility package later this year. So to conclude, let me recall just uh, two insights of IEA report. First, that uh, addressing the problems of the road freight sector is challenging, but possible. That there is no single magic solution that will solve all our problems, but a combination of practical, technological, policy and business-related responses uh, will work and will ensure the vitality of this very important sector. And secondly, that uh, there is a need for cooperation and coordination across many sectors and stakeholders. And uh, let me assure you that the Commission is ready for this cooperation, for this discussion in Europe and in the world. Thank you very much. And thank, thank you, Fatih, for the report. Is my stuff there? <laughs> that wouldn't do. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's, that's quite a menu of things that you've set out there that, that we'll hear about later this year uh, and into the future. Uh, I'm sure there'll be questions, that, however, from the audience, and I hope so, um, just to keep this fresh, lively and engaging and provocative about the how and the implementation and how do we get member states to participate in this quite challenging agenda you've set out, quite an a, a ambitious agenda, which I think is, which is what is required. But I think there'll be questions about the how as we move forward. So we've, we've had a policy view, we've had a system view. Let's go into the sector. And uh, I want to invite John, if, just if you take the mic from there, please, and give us a kind of a sense of your reaction to the report and what, you know, from your perspective, are some of the key challenges. Unfortunately, you only have five minutes in to do that. Okay. Tall order. Sorry? It's a tall order. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, Domendra, thanks very much. Um, and first of all, I'd just like to uh, start out by congratulating the IAA and Fatih on a really excellent report. Uh, covers a huge amount of information. 
and has really good balance across the global issue and how it compares with other issues as well. It's been my weekend reading. I still haven't got through all of it. Uh, very impressive. It's, um, it's truly a global challenge, trucks and the growing emissions. And I think if there's one thing that stood out from your presentation so far, it's that graph that shows the growth in emissions of aviation, coal and trucking globally that really helps us understand and puts the problem in context. Uh, trucks are indeed a very interesting challenge uh, because they are intrinsically linked with GDP growth globally and so we have to keep in balance. We want the GDP growth but we want to try and manage those negatives as well. So I speak for an industry that produces diesel fuel and of course that means that everybody wants to use less of that. We understand that. And that means even if you're using a diesel truck, you still want to use less of it. And we understand the political ambition to move on to other sources of energy too. I also speak for an industry where many of the large companies, many of the companies in fact, have already invested heavily in renewables and have extensive experience of investing, sometimes making that a success. On some occasions, writing off those investments as well. So very deep experience of trying to make the energy transition work and so we welcome the opportunity to be part, to be part of the dialogue. Um, the, uh, the scenario we look at as our industry as we look at that we are convinced that there's a case for liquid fuels for the long term and that graph that I referred to with huge growth in aviation and in trucks says very clearly we'll need to make liquid fuels work in the long term. There are some inherent sort of infrastructure issues that make liquid fuels very efficient. We already have the infrastructure. Um, and while there are arguments around electrification for why you get better efficiency at point of use, there are arguments in, in support of liquid fuels about the efficiency of infrastructure that's required. Very little is required to get it to the exact point of use. And the energy density argument is compelling for trucks and in particular for aviation. Uh, we think the discussion we should have in Europe is not only about what is the solution for Europe, but also what can Europe do to take a leadership position to make a difference. The graph that we've seen actually shows that the real opportunity to make a difference is, is more outside of Europe than inside in Europe. It's noticeable that we have fantastic intellectual property in the area already in trucks, engines, internal combustion engines, and liquid fuels. And so one of the opportunities here surely is for us to produce technologies and policy pathways that can be exported and can make a difference globally. So we're very much interested to ex explore that part of the conversation as well. For things to work for business, they have to work over a long term. Ultimately, to deliver the solutions, it will be businesses delivering the solutions, not uh, politicians. But politicians and the political process have an absolutely key role in establishing a long-term vision. And for the type of investments we're talking about to make a difference here, let me just take an example. The advanced biofuel mandate that's proposed under the Red 2, as a very rough calculation, it's been suggested to us it might take 50 billion euros, 50 billion euros to invest to get that built. Now, that's not going to be done for a short time frame policy. You really need a spreadsheet of 15 years or so to present to your shareholders, to your management, to make a business case, to make the types of investments that are needed there. That means it goes over multiple political cycles, whether you're talking about the commission, 
member states or globally, multiple electoral cycles, which means we need a consistent vision that is shared across lots of different stakeholders so in investors can believe whatever price signals, whatever policies are in place, will be in place for the long term so you can make investments for the long term. So one of the things that's really key for us and an interesting part of the discussion this morning is how do we establish that vision for the long term for multiple technologies that would actually include evolution of the liquid fuel and all the things that are necessary to meet existing and possible future policies around liquid fuels. So, looking forward to, dis to the discussion. I'll leave it there. Thanks. Okay. I'm sure there will be lots of questions about, you know, who pays and um, that big question about electoral cycles. And, you know, we don't plan. Our world doesn't plan, unfortunately, because the nature of the polit political cycles that we live in. But, hey, let's see where we can get to in the, in the, in the debate. Last but not least, um, Sophie, um, you're founder and executive director of Smart Freight Centre. And... It was quite interesting that both in um, Fatih's presentation, it was there, but also I thought, I thought in the vice president's point made very, really well about the fact that data is going to be so significant, the sharing of data and looking at digital implications is going to be key. So uh, you, I'm sure you have a few words to say about that. Well, thank you very much. First, I'm really delighted to see so many women in this room because when people say trucks are boring, they also say trucks is men, and it's not true, neither of them. So uh, welcome, women, and we need... Uh, we, we need good for you. Yeah, but I just point, noted it because many of no, the meetings sure. where I could go to, the balance is not quite there yet. Um, my name is Sophie Punte. I founded the Smart Faith Center as a global NGO four years ago. And the reason is because I was working in environment and particularly transport for a long time. And I felt that freight was the Cinderella of transport. It is a sector that's hugely impactful, it's hugely commercial, plenty of opportunities, but is always forgotten, both by, by policies, by civil society, and often by business. But the way that we wanted to run the organization is about leadership and trying to help companies gain competitive advantage from smart freight. And we help them remove the barriers along the way. The mission, of course, is clean freight, decarbonize the sector and looking after air pollutants as well. So how to make road freight sustainable? And I, I commend the publication because it's a really challenging topic and a lot of opinions are there. And it's finally consolidating some views on the future of trucks and what the potential is that I think this report contributes to. We need three conditions for this to work. First, you need to look at it from a business perspective. This sector is commercial. If we're able to find the, the things that drive business and push the right buttons, we can we can decarbonize this sector much, much faster than we can do with passenger transport. The opportunity is there. We need to just combine profits with society. The reasons why businesses do this is three things. Compliance, cost, customer, three Cs. The broader context also needs to be taken into account. The opportunity of the Paris Climate Agreement, Sustainable Development Goals, the European Commission coming out with the, with the Low Emissions Mobility Strategy and the EC Mobility Package provide us the platform now to really do something together. And we need to make sure that we don't look, just look at CO2 in isolation, but put it in a bigger context. Air pollution is still a major concern in cities. And like you mentioned just before, congestion is also big. In London, for example, two-thirds of the external costs are caused by congestion. And one-third is a combination of air pollution, uh, um, road accidents. Um, and finally, of course, jobs. A lot of the 
challenges that will come in this sector will be about where the jobs are going to be, be. is in the traditional automotive sector. What happens to tr truck drivers when you automate? And we need to make sure that we take that into account because if you don't, you're going to get so much more resistance. Um, and finally, the, the, the industry trends like technology, innovation, new business models, big, big, big data going online is really important. The most important, though, is leadership. And I want to focus on that a little bit more. Business, we need leadership from business. And we need it by having companies measure, report, and verify their emissions. And SmartFace Center released the GLAC framework for logistics emissions, which is, which is one methodology to calculate emissions globally. And we're making that work for business through the European-funded LEARN project. Um, my conviction is that carbon is a better measure than cost when you look at efficiency. And because of that, any business that's not interested in, in, in calculating its carbon footprint is making a big mistake by not considering a, an efficiency measure that would work for them. Second is targets, setting KPIs. DHL has made a bold move to declare they want to go zero emissions by 2050. Um, action plans that really cover the measures that were mentioned here, although I would like to measure, mention once, one more, and that is combining trucks with other modes of transport to deliver freight, especially in cities. We can walk, we can bike, we can use motor bicycles. In Amsterdam, there's even boats for delivering freight. Collaboration is key. Jumbo, for example, is a retailer in the Netherlands, and by combining the loads of four different companies that were delivering goods to the, to the retail outlets, they were able to save 35% in cost, fuel, and emissions. It is possible. It's just a matter of collaborating. And finally, I believe businesses need to be more proactive in providing po uh, positive public policy input. Let's tell, uh, let's tell government what we need to make this happen. And I still think there's a lot of emphasis on, on blocking some of, some of the existing legislation. Um, government has a key role to play in planning, in legislation, and making sure that when, you, when there's announcement made about new policies, there's no backpedaling. If the government set a clear no north, businesses will go that direction. Without government certainty on policy, it's very difficult for businesses to invest. Infrastructure, providing financing, and of course supporting the sector in terms of, for example, training or green trade programs. Finally is, is civil society, where I belong to. Um, for many big, big NGOs, freight is still an afterthought. It's not really part of their core, core focus. And um, I think that many of the the NGOs that are focused on freight or transport issues tend to put a bit too much emphasis on sometimes isolated policies or issues. And I think it's now really time to get to a bigger strategy that we need for the freight sector to meet, make this happen. We need to pull everything out of the closet to reduce carbon. And I think a consumer campaign to stem the tide of online business and people just ordering online really, really is essential. Because, again, freight is a commercial sector, demand-driven, and only if involve the consumer. Um, I'd like to close on the data, but I can, we can perhaps in the, in, the, in the discussion go a bit more in detail. Data is critical to be able to know if we're actually heading the right direction and if we're meeting the targets. Data is also an opportunity for business to become more efficient, and we need to get that message out there. Right now, too many businesses, especially road freight carriers, are scared to share data because they see it as a way of squeezing them out even more. So I call on the big companies who are using carriers 
to also make sure that as you share data and you're trying to drive improvements um, across the sector, make sure you, you fairly distribute the benefits from it and don't take it in by reducing the contract with those carriers even more. Again, commercial sense, if we make that happen for business, we can really change the sector. And CO2 is a much, much, much better, fa better factor to measure efficiency than money ever will be. So with that, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. One of your key takeaways is compliance, cost, and customer. You condense that quite really very well by saying actually governments, what you're saying is governments really need to lead on this agenda if the rest is to follow, if I kind of summarize you in, in, in brief terms. And then if we go back to Fatih's presentation, actually what we do know is that um, efficiency, let's say energy efficiency, different types of logistics, and mixing that with uh, fuel switching is the, the, the pathway. We've heard kind of in between that what some of the challenges are. So, colleagues, over to you to uh, engage in what you think are some of the uh, issues for you. I mean, uh, what's your reaction to what you've heard from the report? Um, are, you know, there might be people sitting there right from within the industry who have a view very specifically about this. So what I'd like to do is take three reactions first, uh, if I may. And, and, you know, I'm conscious of the fact you said that you're right, there are ma many more women in the audience than we ordinarily have. So I want to really urge the women in the audience also to speak, please, if I may. Um, so we have the gentleman here in the front and we have two at the back. Hello, my name is Carlos Calvambel and I work for Transport and Environment. Uh, thank you very much for, for the study. We found it very interesting. We, we were among the, the reviewers and we really thank the EIA for, for their work on, on this very important topic. I just want to say that we also published a report last week where we also look how to decarbonize trucks in Europe by 2050. So I invite you to look into our website to get more information. I agree with most of the recipes. We think that standards are super important because we really need to improve the efficiency of, of the trucks. Uh, we really welcome that uh, Commissioner Sefcovic has said that standards are coming in early 2018. Finally, like after many years of work, that's happening. And also the work on logistics. However, on natural gas, I was surprised that some of the speakers refer to natural gas because natural gas is a fossil fuel. How on earth are we going to decarbonize with a fossil fuel? Even studies in the UK look into the question on how much it could reduce emissions, and it said that it could be between plus minus 10%. So let's go to the best case scenario, minus 10%. Is it worth investing in something that is only going to deliver minus 10%? Uh, plus, it's not helping to improve our, our energy independence. So, I mean, I don't really know why we should focus on natural gas. Okay, biomethane can play a role, but sure. it's just a small... Okay, so that, we'll, we'll pose that question. Do you have an alternative? What yes. would be your view? I do, Tell me and that very, was very actually briefly, my next sir. point. Very briefly. Electricity. Electricity okay, can well, play a role. That'll be, uh, that's a big elephant in the room. We're going to come back to that electricity, because there's a lot to be said about electricity, I'm sure. So let's come back to that. So we have two gentlemen at the back. There you go. Yourself Thank you. with the glasses and then the gentleman in the blue shirt at the back. Paul Friesvold, Brussels. Just like to ask um, Mr. Birol about um, the use of fiscal stimulus mm -hmm. to reach this change. 
Thank you. Thank you. I love that. That was nice and crisp and to the point. That's really brilliant. Thank you. Gentleman at the back. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I'd also like to greatly commend the report um, in terms of the standards and, and the Say other who you are? James Nix, Transport and Environment. Um, I suppose one of the, the key omissions, though, that, that strikes me is why wasn't the electric breakthrough scenario modelled? I think if we were all back here in 2005 or 2006 talking about cars, we'd also have this basket of technologies or basket of options uh, conversation. And I just, uh, I suppose that's a question more for, for the IEA, that, you know, we're looking this, later this year, we're probably going to have trucks coming out with a range of three to 500 kilometers in a single charge. And in that context, it would seem wise at this point to begin modeling the electric breakthrough scenario for trucks. Thanks. Okay, thank you very much. So, um, let's start with yourself, Fatty, with uh, some of those, in terms of, you know, you, I mean, if you want to work backwards, I mean, obviously the electric question is, is, gonna, is about us. We know even from um, the European Climate Foundation, they're really keen that, you know, can Europe lead the way on, you know, uh, uh, modelling electric as a solution, but we know there are implications to that. So, that one particular issue, and then why invest in, you know, natural gas and the fiscal lever? which you refer to very specifically in your report. Thank you very much. <clears throat> uh, first of all, let me underline the uh, great news we got from uh, Vice President once again, that the Europe is uh, going to introduce standards as of 2018. It's a great news. And I think uh, uh, EU has been the champion of fighting against uh, climate change years and years. It only uh, fits with the, uh, Europe's excellent image that uh, Europe is also part of the uh, countries who set standards, efficient standards for trucks. So thank you very much to uh, Mr. Vice President and the uh, Commission colleagues uh, uh, for that. Now, <clears throat> the first question about the natural uh, gas, whether or not it's a good uh, solution in the long term or not. Uh, I think Europe, uh, you said Europe, Europe is very important, but Europe is not the world. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's only about 14% of global emissions. In some parts of the world, uh, gas may be a better alternative, in, but it is cheaper. In some parts of the world, electrics, uh, electric uh, trucks may be a better alternative. So therefore, I wouldn't uh, prescribe or exclude any of them. As long as they are economic, as long as they have to reduce the emissions, I think we should give a, a way to uh, all of them. Uh, and this also a, a bit of a, um, saying a few things on the electric uh, uh, trucks, the uh, third question. Electric trucks are uh, definitely an area that we look into and we work with a couple of uh, 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 suppliers, with co uh, companies, and we think that they may well uh, come in the picture sometime uh, very soon. But the rate of penetration of the uh, markets uh, is something we have to be realistic about. When you look at the cars, uh, last year we hit the record number of uh, electric cars sold in the world, to, something to celebrate. And we have about uh, uh, two million cars uh, to the electric cars and the streets, which is a very good news. But putting in the global context, the sales of the electric cars yesterday, uh, were, uh, last year, was very low uh, in the global uh, fleet context. Bulk of them were internal combustion engines. 
And as of today, the uh, two uh, uh, million electric cars mean only 0.2% of the uh, global car fleet. Just to tell you that the rate of speed and where you come from is important. So uh, while we are seeing electric trucks as a very important option to push and R&D efforts to accelerate, it will not happen uh, immediately tomorrow. There is some uh, room uh, to come. Third and the final point, uh, the, uh, while it is very important uh, that the, uh, Europe hopefully will be the fifth region, in addition to four I mentioned, put to efficient standards, we think there is a need for differentiated tax regimes in order to award the uh, trucks which have higher efficiency than others, so that there is right. a financial incentive for the people to go for more efficient uh, options. Thank you. Before I bring you in, John, because I know you want to bring, come in on the, I think, on the fuels question, obviously, but before I do, Commissioner, I'd like to ask you about the question on uh, taxes. What's your view? I mean, I know, I mean, we've had this conversation about a common tax system. I mean, forget that in Europe. But what's your view in terms of, you know, obviously, reward those who are doing better. But from the Energy Union's point of view, what's your perspective on the tax question? Thank you very much for, uh, for, all, uh, for all the questions. I think they're, they're, very much, uh, they're very much linked. And I think, as uh, Fatih described, currently we need the progress on, uh, on, on uh, all uh, technology because we have, uh, of course, uh, big progress if it comes to the uh, electric uh, powertrains for the cars and even, even for the trucks. But at the same time, uh, when you talk to the, the uh, truck industry, they, they need uh, the new trucks today, tomorrow, and, and therefore uh, we need to find a way how we can combine uh, the need for the services with uh, better standards and better results uh, for the future. So as we see with renewables in, in, in the power sector where we need uh, this very uh, uh, solid uh, uh, base load and where we prepare gas because simply it's less carbon uh, intensive, so we see also that uh, in this particular sector, the gas might play the important role of the transitional fuels until the other technologies like electricity, hydrogen, and others would really become so mature that they can, they can, they can deliver that power, that reliability, uh, which the truck, uh, truck industry needs. How to get there? Uh, this is exactly, I would say, the implementation, what uh, you see in all the proposals we are putting in, uh, now on the table. User and polluter-pace principle. For example, for the electric personal vehicles, we are suggesting that if it comes to the toll systems that the electric uh, cars should uh, uh, have uh, uh, up to 75% uh, discount if it comes to the toll charges or to the charges for using, uh, using the infrastructure. And uh, we already have, uh, again, it differs from the country to the country, some intensivizing for the, for, the, for the cleaner trucks in the future. And I think that we have to amplify it because this is one way how to motivate also the truck industry to go for the cleaner solutions. And I think that um, a lot will be done by the mayors. I think it was mentioned several times here. I see it already with the personal cars, and you see that more and more uh, of the mayors come up with a very simple slogan, if you want to enter in the center of my city, only with a super clean car. And I think this would apply not only to the personal vehicles, but more increasingly to the vans, uh, to, the, to the trucks, and it will bring, I would say, the new challenges for this intermodal logistics okay. and for how the, I would say that the truck business would be organized in and around the cities. So I think that uh, the public procurement uh, 
polluter and user price principles, new infrastructure, all this would lead uh, to this gradual shift and change uh, where we would see more and more uh, cleaner trucks on our roads. Do you see that coming kind of organically or do you think what's, what role will you play to actually move the, move the, make the impetus kind of move in that, in that direction? I mean, you've set out all your standards, etc. Yeah. but actually what you're describing, there's something about competition, obviously, but I, actually I, in terms yeah. of trying to get a Europe-wide approach to this? Yeah, I think that uh, at first what we need in Europe, it's really we need uh, uh, to have uh, the the best in the world, that's at least the ambition I mm -hmm. proposed in July, the infrastructure uh, for alternative powertrains and also later on for autonomous driving. If Europe wants to live uh, in uh, this uh, uh, transition and wants to link this transition with the industrial revolution, we have to have best infrastructure for alternative fuels. What are they today? Clearly electricity, hydrogen, uh, CNG and LNG, especially for the, uh, for the ships. And uh, it doesn't cost that much. Therefore, I was elaborating a little bit on it in my introductory remarks because I believe that uh, if you look at the different studies which have been made uh, to cover the trans-European networks, we would need uh, something like uh, 1.5 billion euros to make sure that we would have uh, much better coverage by the charging stations, by the hydrogen stations, and, of course, uh, LNG and CNG. And I see the biggest uh, big interest from our member states to get some financial support to develop uh, this infrastructure across uh, the EU. We are working with telecommunication and um, uh, car industry on what would we need for autonomous driving. Mm -hmm. What should be the combination? Clearly satellites, clearly Wi-Fi, clearly 5G. And we would need to find, you know, the way how these three signals would actually deliver us, delivers us the, the precision we would need for autonomous driving and for precision logistics as well, which I think would be very important intermediate stage. So I think once we would have these modern toll systems, why once we would have these clear standards uh, for, the, for, the, for the trucks, and we already feel that we have very strong pressure coming from the cities, that uh, we would elaborate the policies which would clearly favor cleaner solution for, for trucking. Okay, all right. Um, I will bring you in, Sophie, in a second. Uh, John, question Amanda, of electric. Amanda, thank you. Can I just respond on two or three things? And link them By all means, but briefly, if you may. Yeah, yeah, lovely, sure. of course. So, Sophie, you said carbon is better than cost from measuring, right? Actually, I think... Well, I would, look, I would say you need to have both together. And in particular, you've got to understand what are you spending to reduce your carbon? Now, long term, we'll have to be very efficient about this. The project of mass decarbonization is a huge business project and you need indicators and cost of carbon is one of them. Now in the early days of technologies it's very clear that you're going to have to have much higher costs but we've got to consider what are the costs as you go through the system for the long term. Um, and so that's one of the themes that big business will always treat this uh, and all businesses in fact will, all, will treat this, this project overall. It didn't take long for us to come to electrification in this discussion, um, even though I think the report that we've seen puts a lot of different things together and says that there is, there is no silver bullet. So let's just make a few comments about electrification. Um, I think in regulation of trucks and cars, sometimes we are blinded by the zero emission of the tailpipe. And we have a commitment to a, a circular economy in Europe. That actually means a life cycle. Today, if you look at the life cycle of electrified cars, they're around 20% better than, the, than good, efficient cars today. 
Um, now, that's a useful 20%. Every improvement is useful. But it also shows you that the technologies are genuinely competing. Um, the, the current way of looking at vehicles excludes the biggest part of emission associated with electrification, which is today the production of batteries. Uh, a small electric car will have around six or seven tons of emission associated with its battery production. If you scale that up for a truck, that could be 60 or 70 tons to produce the battery. In a car, the car may last on one battery for its life. On a truck that can do 100 or 200,000 kilometers a year, it seems doubtful with the technology we have available today that that battery will last for the life of the truck. And you're talking about multiple batteries per truck. So you've got to have a life cycle view. And yes, the technology, maybe it can compete. And yes, it's right to support it to the point that we really understand it. But I think it's too early to say it's the right solution for the long term. I'm sure it'll make a difference in lots of different sectors, in particular in the urban environment and for lighter-duty trucks. But for the energy density required to support a long-haul truck, long-distance, heavy-duty, you're talking about some huge weights and costs of batteries and carbon costs associated with that. Um, okay. The other aspect is, of course, the power demand, the power demand for charging, whether you do it with batteries or whether you do it with overhead cables. You're talking about megawatts of demand in very localized areas, which means a great big grid investment as well. So let's just look at the whole system cost and the whole system benefit and support all the technologies early on and then let them compete to see what can make the difference effectively. That's, that's what you're saying is let's take pause for this. What I was saying in the introduction that, you know, we might get turned on by the latest wheeze and electricity is not the latest wheeze, obviously, but let's think through the implications of the long term because in terms of infrastructure, road infrastructure, charging, etc., and you can, you know, to make, make the, the cost of that efficient um, and, and actually worthy of the emissions reduction, we need to think through and actually look at that equation more effectively. Sophie. Yeah, I, I wanted to also comment on the, the gas-electricity point. I think, I mean, there's many silver bullets. I actually don't really like the word bullets, but everybody gets that one. I think some will go faster than others. Um, I do believe that the future is electric. I do think it will take longer. But if you then look at it from a government perspective in investing in infrastructure, um, it would, I would prefer to invest in the long term. So I, I do think if you're now already investing in electrification of passenger vehicles, take freight along. Don't leave in wait and wait with that. Now, whether on, in addition to that, there's room for gas and all the other options, I think there has to be because you're not going to make it with one solution alone. I just think we need to put it in context of a basket of solutions whereby some will take um, a possible now, some in the longer term. But I would make infrastructure investments for what you expect uh, trucks will be using after 2030. I think that's really key because infrastructure takes long to invest. In terms of the, the fiscal stimulus, um, you now get tollways in, in Germany and um, giving discounts to trucks that are cleaner or trucks that are fuller. Mm. Um, um, I don't know the exact numbers for, for Europe, but I know for Europe about 25% of the trucks are empty. In Tokyo, it's about the same. But when you look at urban delivery, 50% of the trucks are occupied. And so I think by giving a fiscal stimulus to that, that promotes companies to use cleaner and fuller trucks would, would be not just making the polluter pay, but actually rewarding those who stick their necks out. Mm. And a final comment I'd, I'd like to make about cities, uh, because we talked about competition. I think it would be very healthy to start a competition between cities. Um, we've done an analysis, and you can download a report from our website, 
on, we've analyzed nine um, urban freight plants from around the world, and for Europe that included Berlin, Stockholm, and London. And we've compared on how do they go about the urban freight strategies, but also what measures they'd included. And you'll be surprised how many creative measures and solutions they've all come up with. What's missing now is trying to have that shared. And I think it would be a really good initiative if the European Commission would encourage the development of a guide for cities on urban freight that can be used perhaps in Europe but also worldwide and, and start collecting the existing practices that many cities are already doing and attach an award to that. I think it would be a really positive incentive um, for cities to learn from each other and to promote. And coming back to electric, I think electrification of urban freight, we're going to see that earlier than, than of uh, long-haul freight. Thank you. I mean, there currently exists a network of mayors, um, you know, the C40 network of cities. They're already on this agenda. It's and freight it's about, is always last. Freight is last. I, I totally agree with you. And it's about how do you kind of engage this particular... But you, there's ready-made infrastructure, I think, of mayors and cities that are actually on this. Um, it's, there's kind of a pot potentially an easy win if you're going to kind of engage in some of this kind of policy development. And there's Civitas in Europe, so you've got different... Indeed. What I'd like to do is, colleagues, if you could put back... It's Fatty's slide, and sorry, because I, 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 I was really struck by your pie chart um, in terms of the modern truck scenario, because I think it kind of really focuses the mind on what the policy agenda ought to be or where the effort should lie if we're going to move in this direction. So look at this, okay? So logistics and efficiency count for like over two-thirds of what we need to do. Fuel switching appears to be 24% if we look at that. So I thought I'd use that as a very useful canvas for this conversation because I think it kind of focuses our mind in terms of where our efforts should be. Back to you, people in the audience, questions. So we have a gentleman there. Gentleman there. Can I please urge some of the women in the audience to say, ask, ask a question? I'm not going to force you, obviously, but excellent. Thank you. And this is not to patronize you or to be, you know, in any way divisive. It's just making sure that, you know, sometimes the role of the facilitator is to urge uh, and encourage. So there's the lady there, there's a gentleman here, and the gentleman here. And I'll come back to the others in a moment. So do you want to start with the lady there, please? And then we'll come to the gentleman. Yeah. One second. Come to you in a second. Hi, my name's Tamara Ingster-Draper. I'm from the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. Um, I think all of our panellists spoke about the importance of public-private dialogues for mm -hmm. unlocking this transition. I just wanted to hear what your opinions were on how we facilitate this dialogue, uh, especially in light of uh, Vice President Sefcovic's uh, push for urgency. Thank you. So how do we, how do we urge a public-private dialogue in this context of urgency? Okay, okay right. Gentleman here. I'm Sergio Berberino from Procter & Gamble. I'm also the chairman of ALICE, the uh, Logistic Innovation Platform of Europe. Um, I have a real question, and it's a question coming from my company. We, um, for us, freight transport is important. We move 3 million loads per year. We serve about 5 billion consumers globally, and most of it is uh, uh, long-distance freight. We do practically nothing in urban. That's done by our customers that are the classic retailers. Um, we set for 2020 our own sustainability target of reducing truck kilometer per goods transported by 20%. And we achieved that ahead of time with a mix of logistic efficiency and uh, uh, model, model shift. Next year, in January, we need to announce the sustainability target for 2030 with in mind reaching zero emission by 2050. What 
uh, as a company, we made a commitment of staying in the lead, especially given political changes in which not everywhere in the world we have a supporting administration to set the standards for uh, reducing emissions. What would you suggest a company like Procter Gamble should set as its objective in 2000, for 2030, next January, in order to help the process? So what targets should a company set next yeah. year? for 2.30. So that's a very interesting, challenging question. So I'm being challenged here by the lights. That's why you can see me doing this. It's like they're right in my eye. So the gentleman just there. Yes, thank you. Again, say who you are. And Good morning. My name morning. is Arnaud Chatin. I'm representing Michelin here in Brussels. Um, I won't bother you with tires, but uh, also you must know that 30% of the fuel consumption is due to rolling resistance of tires. So just by reducing rolling resistance of tires, we will contribute heavily as the industry in the, let's say, reduction of CO2 emissions for road transport. But what I wanted to say is that uh, it seems that we have talked a lot about products and technology and not about human factor. And uh, the first leverage to decrease the fuel consumption in the fleet, transport fleet, is the driving style. Is the what? Sorry, the driving style of the drivers. Don't you think that uh, training and, and monitoring of the training on drivers could be a very good element to take into account for green public procurement? Interesting question. Okay, thank you very much. Can I turn to you, Commissioner, first about the public-private question? If you could tend yourself to that, because because clearly, you know, from a government perspective, you have a huge lever to be able to broker this kind of dialogue. So, no, I very much appreciate this question because I think without uh, much better understanding cooperation, and I would say such a common push between public and private, we will clearly uh, not be able to to deliver the change we needed, or I would say to do it uh, in a time frame we need and uh, with that uh, cost efficiency everybody uh, requires uh, for, from all of us to be really competitive on the, on the global stage. So I will tell you several uh, uh, solutions how we can do it. I think we need to intensify the, the, the social dialogue between employers and uh, trade union representatives and the government or EU institutions for the truck driving sector. We just simply need to listen to each other more we need to understand each other better, and we need to work uh, uh, jointly for the, for the solution. Because it's very closely linked also with the last question on, um, on, on the drivers. It was very uh, sensitive discussions we had uh, in uh, the European Commission, and I think we have uh, all over uh, the EU. How to make sure that from one side uh, we would not uh, push uh, the, the truck drivers of today uh, into the position of the, of the modern slaves because it's not only uh, ethically unacceptable but it's also dangerous for them and for everybody else on the roads. So uh, how we are going to make sure that we would respect what I think are already well-established uh, driving times, resting times, uh, weekly rest, monthly rest and all the things which uh, are not there just for the, I would say, luxury uh, of, of, of the drivers but this is, I would say, very well-established, I would say, labor uh, code and uh, it's very important uh, for uh, the drivers but also for the safety on the road. But at the same time, what we need to do that these drivers could have a proper rest. You would hear from my 
fellow commissioner boots that a lot of money was already invested, but we do not see that many results for, let's say, protected zones where the truck drivers can pair the truck, not be worried that the insurance, for example, would lapse because they are not with the trucks and they can have a, a decent shower, decent rest, and then, then continue on their own. That, I think, it should be our, our common, common initiative. And, and uh, what uh, we can do to improve, I would say, also in this way, the, the efficiency of the drivers in proper training, specialization, or maybe also the, the way how on the same track uh, uh, the, the, the drivers uh, could, uh, let's say, change the shifts in the way that it would be much more efficient for, for everyone. Second uh, f uh, issue which I, or second proposal I would make would be the, this industrial-led initiatives uh, for all we need to develop in the technological sphere. Smart logistics, fuel efficiency, better shape uh, trucks uh, for, the, for the future. All that progress we, we, we achieved in platooning, convoying, and other organizations of the trucks on the road. And here I'm glad to say that Europe is really in the lead and the industry uh, did a lot. So, I mean, this is one of the ways where we have to work together to let the industry to develop these new technologies, this new way how the trucks could uh, be organized uh, on uh, the highways. But at the same time, you need to change the legislation. You need to, let's say, adjust the rules that this would be possible for the future. And uh, the last uh, proposal I would make, which is a little bit wider, we are now agreed that we are going to do that. And we would very much welcome the contributions from all of you, what would be the best shape of it? I think we need to establish uh, something what I call Clean uh, uh, Energy Industrial Forum. Because also yeah. our discussion okay. here is telling us a lot how this is uh, intertwined with the production of batteries, with the disposal of batteries, how the batteries would be charged, what kind of fuels we would use. I hear a lot about synthetic fuels as well. So I think we simply need to have this cross-sectorial uh, approach where we need to talk to each other and make it practical. So these would be the three things. The social dialogue, then, of course, industry-led initiatives, and uh, uh, clean energy industrial forum where we can debate these issues. I'm glad you came to the last one, because that last one was about actually the collaborative space. So is there something like that at the moment? Is there a clean industrial forum? Excuse me? Does it, does it exist, this kind of forum for a clean industry? No, this is something what, so uh, would you be what to we leave announced that we are, we are going to establish. And, of course, the, the, the challenge here is uh, uh, how to make it practical. Because it's uh, not a problem to uh, kind of invite everybody to Charlemagne, have a good debate, Indeed. and then go home. Of course. But uh, we need something with, where we would have this general discussion, and probably we would need to split it into the sub-groups sub when actually the uh, talk could uh, be made, when the ideas could be exchanged, and when it would have a practical uh, contribution to our future work. So we are thinking how to do that, and we would very much appreciate if anybody of you would Excellent. have the practical idea how to organize it. We'll be very happy about it. So that. it's good. See, it's worthwhile coming to these. You only, you only get, like, great new stories, but actually an opportunity. And, and, and we would like, actually, to just, sorry, for, for, okay. because this is my baby a little bit All right. so, so long on it. But we would like to, uh, to already um, have, I would say, such a first uh, session or present how this could work. Then we would uh, uh, organize the, uh, next year this clean energy ministerial and uh, mission innovation events uh, here in Europe. I mean, we've been quite impressed how it was organized with Fatih in Beijing. I'm very glad that now we Europeans are going to do it in the Oresund region. Malmo and Copenhagen are going to do it uh, together after as the Canadians would come. Mm. But I believe that it could be, I would say, such a milestone where, where we can announce how this forum should work, what it could deliver. I feel a Friends of Europe 
event coming up in the spring. Yeah, be, I really do. With this combination. I'll be here again, I completely you. good. I mean, no, I'm, I'm glad you did. And it's, no, I'm, I'm being serious because we do need that kind of forum because people talk about these things. But, and it's really good. I think it's really important in this context. You've been really open about the, the invitation to all of you. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that he's being serious. I think it's a great opportunity to actually put down on paper or email or even say what you think it should do and how it should be structured to be effective because we've all been there. We've had these ministerial forums before and they don't lead to much. So, but if you really want to have practical, movable action on this, what should it constitute? But before I invite some of you, Sophie, I'm going to bring you in and then I will bring you in, Fatih, afterwards. Um, but I want to give an example of where I believe it has worked. We've set up uh, two y- three years ago a Global Logistics Emissions Council, which was basically an industry voluntary partnership. And why it worked? Because we had one common goal. We wanted to create one methodology for emissions accounting. And now we've got that. We're moving to targets and we're moving to data sharing. So I think the way to make it practical is to have uh, certain projects where, where governments and, and where industry governments and, and experts can work together and start with a project that is achievable that everybody wants and then move on from there. We've had the help from the U.S., from the European Commission, even China, um, basically all industry associations are involved and the reason why it worked it was a really transparent target we had a, a clear work plan we had the funding for it and we had a milestone within two years to deliver it and we did and the nice thing was that the European Commission then is they created a project called learn to now take that forward into industry and to see how we're going to make that happen in practice data sharing verification even how could we reflect it in a label so I think if you were to do an, an, a clean energy forum to identify a few needs of businesses that could be set up as, as individual okay. projects for people to work on target 20 30 by 2030 50 by 2050 is absolute minimum. I would say it's target zero by 2050. Okay, that's bold of you. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask you to answer that question about the target in particular, if you could, and then we'll come to John in a moment. First, let me just uh, once again congratulate the Vice President for the uh, new baby. So the new baby. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> he has Born a lot here. of babies, yes. I have the feeling yeah. now. So this is congratulations, uh, Mr. Shevkovich. Now, uh, I want to talk about the question, what is needed for a good uh, public-private uh, uh, mm-hmm. dialogue? First, if you look at generally, you need to write democracy for that, so people who want to uh, listen to you. So this is the prerequisite for that. And second, you need a real issue, which is important for the uh, public, but also private sector is a part of it, and the public sector is able to make the private sector understand that there is also a benefit for the private sector there. So private sector, by definition, uh, their main objective is maximize the profits. So we have to be uh, frank here. Of course, by looking at the sustainability and this and that, but there, should, there is a need for public sector to make the private sector understand that this issue, whatever the issue is, important for the profits, important for the business plans. And this is the very reason why IEA, we put these trucks on the table and call it, this is a forgotten elephant, forgotten elephant in the, in the debate, both for oil markets and also for the climate change debate, and we will follow it up. And training issue that our colleague mentioned there. This is one of the issues that we discuss in detail. Trainings of the drivers in, in our report, you will see there. 
By the way, I should tell you that our report is freely downloadable if I am not wrong in our, uh, unlike most of our publications, they are sold at uh, very, very high prices, but this is freely downloadable. You can download that uh, one. And for the target, I don't want to set uh, uh, targets. We are not the authority for that, but I would like to congratulate our colleague to already do, using the all the available tools improving the logistical efficiency, which is good for the environment, but which is also good for their business and profits. Once again, uh, I wanted to stop here. Do you want to ask a question about the kind of public-private uh, partnership? Because, you know, given the, the voice you represent in terms of the opportunity that would present to move things forward effectively? Let me just think for a minute. The types of the sums that we're talking about to make a real transition mm. are probably beyond the public purse capability long term. I think that's one of the things we have to be clear about. Mm. One of the things we have to recognize is that uh, Europe's position on leadership is actually making choices for some technologies that are more expensive, at least in the medium term. You know, we, look, let's, face, let's face it, the incumbent fuel is diesel fuel made from petroleum. We have $45 a barrel today and little real prospect for a much higher price for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. There's lots of petroleum available. Petroleum is still very good value, very cheap globally. And globally, taxes are typically lower than they are in Europe. And so it will continue to be used at scale. And I think all of the work by the IEA or other companies doing energy outlooks, even in scenarios fully meeting 2050 Paris goals still shows significant petroleum use. Um, the amount of money involved to do either electrification or alternative fuels runs into the 50 or 100 billion euros in Europe alone and globally much more than that. The public role there, I would argue, is actually about creating the right long-term framework uh -huh. to assure that those costs can be met and passed on. Because where you're talking about creating a technology or, or pushing a technology that is more expensive than the, the, the incumbent fuel, you've got to have a secure political set of choices and a regulatory structure that allows those costs to be passed on reliably for a long term. And that's why I say actually a long-term vision that can be passed on from one political cycle to the next and makes sense to all the stakeholders is the most important public and business dialogue. Sure. If yeah. we go back to the pie chart, though, 24% is only about fuel switching. The other yes. two, the two-thirds of it, is actually about logistics and efficiency. Yes. So, I mean, from your perspective, what kind of support role do you need from the public sector to be able to have that two you know, the two-thirds kind of moving in that right direction? So, I mean, first of all, the pie chart I completely agree with. I mean, efficiency is always the lowest cost thing to go for. And that's not only the engine, it's the full vehicle, mm. but it's also the full system. I mean, it's amazing how many we have empty trucks going around in Europe today. And arguably, are the, you know, all the trucks doing the right routes and being driven the right way. The, the prospect of digi di digitalization is exciting. We have to make sure also, by the way, that we don't run into a trap of digitization actually lowering costs to the point that it increases demand further. If you start taking drivers out of vehicles, those vehicles can do 22 hours a day mm -hmm. as opposed to 10. You may only have in a convoy of trucks, a, a platoon of trucks, one driver out of 10. You've just reduced the costs dramatically. Mm -hmm. And so there's always the possibility of actually increasing demand with a digital agenda. 
Um, you'll need a lot of very careful work between policymakers and businesses to describe the right way to implement the digital connected automated agenda for trucks for sure. Mm. Or it'll just, the market will just go ahead and do it, is my worry, if we don't take a policy lead, a government lead on some of these, because actually it could end up creating mayhem, and what we'll have is good examples from certain countries, but then you won't have a kind of a, a seamless digital yes. approach across um, tr Europe. The trucking industry is brutally competitive on costs. Exactly, indeed. And actually, if you make a significant reduction in costs... They'll do it. You know, yeah. Instead of me buying my bread that was made 50 miles away, it could be 2,000 miles away, and that's not necessarily a good outcome. Fatih, you want to come back on this point? In fact, I wanted to make a footnote in our discussion when we talk about oil and gas mm. and, and others. So we, uh, we want to in the, uh, push the clean energy technologies strong, and we are doing a lot of efforts like uh, this one. But when I come to Brussels, I don't know why, and this is a, uh, 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 I feel that there is, a, uh, there is a something in the air as if the things are very easy to get rid of the uh, fossil fuels. It is not very easy. They are very stubborn. And I want to give you one number. Some of you who are as old as I may remember, there was a Brutland report. Uh, it was uh, made by the former Norwegian uh, prime minister when the, the, the concept of sustainable development was put forward, 1987, 30 years ago, when we started to the first move in terms of reducing the need for reducing the share of fossil fuels. Then lots of things happened, the renewables cost fell, fell down, efficiency, hydropower, and so on. So, in 1987, when this 30 years ago, when this first push started, the share of fossil fuels in the global energy mix was 81%, 81%. And today, after 30 years, the share of fossil fuels in the global energy mix is still 81%. Let, just, this is a number. This is not a forecast. And anybody can go and look. This is just the number, the data. The composition of the fossil fuels change, but we still have 81% of share of fossil fuels after 30 years of all these policies, efforts, uh, programs, agendas, and so on. This is just to put the things mm. in a, a bit more, in our view, realistic context. It's a very arresting fact, actually, what you've just pointed out. So, colleagues, uh, gentlemen here, gentlemen at the back, gentlemen there, and the gentlemen, so we've got four. Yeah. Again, say who you are. And we have to be brief now, because we're coming to the kind of the, the glide path down to the end of this event. So, be very brief if you can. I'll be very brief. Um, this is on, yeah. So my name is Steph Cornelius. I work uh, for Transport and Environment. I have one question about um, infrastructure. Um, to make this shift away Your questions from, to who? Sorry, again. You're, you're I have one question about infrastructure. Um, to make this shift away from fossil fuels, you see already that in cities, um, also on EU level, there's a lot of investments going on to install infrastructure for electric cars and also electric buses. Shouldn't we also use this opportunity to make sure that this will also be compatible for, for trucks and for electric trucks that are coming? Um, and that we make sure that, that, that we're not, that we're taking this into account because otherwise this will go even slower and this will be, would be a wasted opportunity. So happy to hear some thoughts on that. So about infrastructure, about exactly. how, do you, how do you boost infrastructure exactly. for this approach yeah. that we're talking about? Okay, yeah. great. Thank you very much. Gentlemen there. 
Thank you, um, Ian Catlow from the Mayor of London's office uh, here in Brussels. Uh, the, the role of cities has been mentioned a few times and I just wanted to say that uh, naturally I agree that, uh, that cities are going to play an important uh, role here. Um, specifically on Sophie, Sophie's point uh, about the work that's been done on freight plans in urban areas, of course I, I, I think she's right. Um, certainly in, in London we're in touch with Stockholm and Berlin and, and the others who've done a lot of work on this and, and in fact we've set up working groups in the Polis Network and the Eurocities Network to, to facilitate the share of best practice. But, but I agree, I mean a, a lot more needs to be done here and perhaps that's the conversation we should be having with, with Sophie and indeed with the Commission uh, about how we can, we can broaden this work. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Gentleman there in the um, beige suit, yes. Then I'll come to you. Um, about Ryan, Friends of Europe, just one question. When do you f are afraid of a capacity problem on the highways? This is a wonderful picture, but this picture will be out of data in, in 10 years latest, and the highways will be blocked by too many cars and trucks, because here are only trucks. So your question again, can you just repeat that again? Just repeat your question very briefly. Sir, if I may, could you just... When are you afraid of a capacity problem on the trucks, on the, on the highways? Okay, The All highways right. will be blocked. Thank you. Gentleman here. My name is Jeffrey Seisler from Clean Fuels Consulting, both here in Brussels and Washington. The Commission and IEA, you've both spoken about natural gas as a medium-term solution or a medium-term pathway. This morning over coffee, one of the major European truck manufacturers said to me, there's just so much we can afford to spend on medium-term solutions. So in a way, you're saying natural gas is going to be a good solution, but in not talking about as a long-term solution, you're putting questions into the mind of the manufacturers and probably the customers by talking about it as a medium-term solution. So, can we shift the, the discussion, at least for natural gas, and say this is going to be one of the long-term solutions, along with cleaner petroleum fuels, and as Sophie said, with a whole blend of different fuels that ultimately the customers will make a choice of. So that's your point, actually talk about it. The point is, we're calling it a medium-term But it's actually, fuel. what you're saying is actually it's not in reality, given because the Because it presents uncertainty in the yes. minds of the producers by saying this is medium-term. We can't afford to invest in medium-term. We have to invest in the target of where we're going. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the discussion that's providing, I think, confusion for the companies that are going to have to invest now for the long-term future. So can we shift that to say... This should be a long-term fusion uh, solution as one of the blends, not just a short-term solution. As long as it definitely changes the behavior towards cleaner tech and cleaner No, it does not, that's but the, the use of language becomes important to not produce uncertainty. Indeed, I agree with you, sir. Absolutely. Gentlemen there, last final question. Okay. Thank you. My name is Mansouri. I am from Iran. And uh, my question is... Uh, that uh, relating the efficiency in transport, uh, we should talk to hardware and software. Hardware changing the technology like uh, trucks uh, and the fuel uh, which uh, trucks used uh, is in hardware. 
And uh, in this uh, relation, uh, the availability of uh, these kind of te technologies, as mentioned uh, with other uh, uh, speakers in the uh, meeting, uh, what I want to emphasize is about the software. What, uh, what does it mean? Uh, there, there is uh, the spatial planning. If uh, for uh, production and consumption centers, uh, there was uh, one uh, program uh, announced by uh, European Union in 1999 uh, for spatial planning uh, for uh, EU in that time. But uh, after that, uh, I don't know what uh, was the result of this uh, plan. And uh, see so if I can move you to your question, sir. It is. It is uh, uh, that. Is, is there any uh, improvement in spatial planning of the European Union uh, from 1999 uh, till now? This is my question. Okay, and the gentleman, final, final question at the back. Yeah. Thank you. My name is Elmar Baumann from the Association of the German Biofuel Industry. It's a question to the Commission, to Mr. Shevchevich. Mr. Cooper from Fuels Europe claimed the necessity of having life cycle assessment for every truck or every engine. So does the Commission think it's necessary or to give the opportunity to count renewable fuels or renewable electricity upon the CO2 footprint of trucks? It's just, just to make your question again. So Is it, does the Commission think of accounting the use of renewable fuels or renewable electricity upon the CO2 footprint of trucks. So if you introduce CO2 limits for trucks in 2019, perhaps, will, it be, will there be a possibility of accounting the use of renewable fuels upon this limit? Okay, great, thank you very much. Okay. We are really short of time, so I can't ask all of you to answer all those questions. But if I'm going to start at the end there, John, if you want to, answer, if you want to make reference to some of the points that have been raised, just yeah, the last sure. one. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tom Andrew. Thank you. Uh, can I take the last question first? Yes, please. Gentleman from uh, German uh, Biofuels Association. I think I understand the point that you're making. Um, and basically, I think you're making a valid point. Can I switch to an example with cars, but actually say that it should, it should work for trucks as well? Today, if you certify a car at 100 grams, that certification effectively reflects use of fossil fuel only. Our point, actually, as an association is, we are being asked to improve the fuel as a result of the RED2 by combination of um, mandated use of crop-based sustainable biofuels, but also advanced biofuels, waste-based biofuels. That will reduce the GHG intensity of the fuel. And with the target for 2030 amounting to around 10% volume in total, uh, sorry, energy content in total. Our initial estimate is that that might give you something like a 7% improvement. If you put that into a car that is today certified at 100 grams, really that should be adjusted by 7% because you've made a change to the system overall. And that allows you to have a proper, a better comparison, a more technology neutral regulation. And we believe there's potential beyond the 2030 target as well. And if you look across the whole life cycle, many different opportunities to improve that. A big message to investors, if they can see that in the performance of the vehicles, that would help reassure them that they are making a difference and their technology is competitive. So that is one of the points to the Commission already that we are already asking. 
as the fuel is improved by whatever technology, whether it's crop-based biofuels, advanced biofuels, power to liquid synthetic, we believe that should be reflected in the achievement of the vehicle. And that actually should be visible at the customer level, whether that customer is a private car or a truck buyer. Uh, can I just also uh, respond again to the point on T&E, electrification? It's clearly something that T&E are uh, very uh, committed to, I understand, from three questions this morning. My, my, my point would be this. If you're making a case for the bulk electrification of the trucking fleet, I think you have an obligation to describe the full life cycle of the decision that you're proposing. That means the full investment needs to put in all the infrastructure, the carbon footprint of thousands of very high-power charging stations, all the minerals and mining that's associated to do that. The power demand, I understand it from Euroelectric, they can say, they say that the current power capacity can just support cars if they are aggressively smart metered. If you add in trucks with a huge power demand, you've just put in an additional requirement to build significant power generation capacity in Europe. I think you need to describe the whole proposal rather than just be blinded by the zero in the tailpipe, in the tailpipe standards. And that power demand has got to be regionally as well as locally. So, look, we believe electrification has got a significant role. But let's have an open mind about all of the technologies and support them in the same way instead of just picking one. And you always have to look, what's the long-term cost that you're sure. talking about? Okay, thanks. We could have spent half an hour just on that issue. Yeah. Because I think you're right. You're, it's, it's not a right or wrong uh, answer or, or, or an issue. It's actually more about thinking through the full implications of the infrastructure uh, and the cost. And some might argue, actually, it's an investor save because actually there's upfront investment in infrastructure, but in the long term, it might work. But we can't answer that question now, and I'm conscious of time. So, Sophie, can I ask you the, the, the question that the, the gentleman raised at the back about highways? Yeah, I'm, what do we I, fear? Yeah, the, 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 um, the problem of congested highways. I think... You're very right, sir, and it's actually not just of highways, it's of cities in, of roads in our cities as well. I think what we need to is uh, go beyond the driver's training and actually go to fleet manager's training. And coincidentally, we've just developed a course on that to try and make <laughs> fleet managers the fuel champions. And in that, not looking just at the fuel, but also at the logistics operations, and that's something that the fleet manager can control. In order for that to happen, we need three things from government. We need... Um, professionalized fleet managers training that is recognized at the EU level so that it becomes a profession whereby logistics management is actually something to strive for. Second, we need um, more standardization of vehicle dimensions because right now the trucks in the US have different dimensions in Europe as in China. And as a result, we can't operate uh, with Lego blocks that we can do in containers on ships because the trucks are all such different sizes. And ideally, we'd like to, to design all the products we generate, all the packaging we make as, as Lego blocks from the smallest in the back of the courier to the bigger ones in the truck. And the third one is on data sharing. You can only address congestion and manage your freight if you have very good access to data. And I have no doubt that data about trucks is going to be available from the engine, everything we need. What is going to be key is how the data is shared without compromising the commercial sensitivity of some of these transport operators. And I would really like to see a role for the EU to help guide on what are the conditions for data sharing, what would be the, the best way of, of ensuring their security, how can you maximize um, 
um, the benefit of data for optimizing logistics, but at the same time dealing with anti-competition laws. And this is a very complex issue. I think that, that if, if the EU could take a lead role in that, I think it would do the whole sector a big favor. Thank you. I'm going to give Fatih the last word, if I may, but if I can move to you, Commissioner, to answer some of the questions about... The gentleman right at the back talked about the importance of infrastructure, and I think, you know, from, it's actually a government question to a certain extent, uh, and there are uh, the other points that are made about the language that's used, but also what's happened since... What was the date you used? 1990? I can't remember. 1999, in terms of certain policy uh, management. But um, over to you, say a few things, and by, by closing remarks. Thank you very much. I, I, I absolutely agree that... Uh, to improve the infrastructure, it's absolute key for the transition we need in, in transport without having uh, the same comfort for our people to move around, for our truck drivers to drive around as, as they have today with the, uh, with the petrol or diesel, diesel cars. Simply, we would still have that certain resistance, that hesitation uh, about the range, which very often are not 100% rational because we know that at average, I mean, uh, we use our cars for something like 12 kilometers a, a day and this range for that is fully uh, satisfactory. But, but we know that remorse in our minds that, you know, if I need to go further, can I, can I, uh, can I recharge, can I uh, refuel, refuel my car? So for that, I think we clearly need uh, uh, to invest uh, in the infrastructure and I understand that this is the best way how we can avoid this chicken and egg dilemma we yeah. have. Uh, uh, in Europe, where the car industry tells you, okay, our, our trucks and, and cars are very expensive because we cannot sell too many of them, and we cannot sell too many of them because people would not buy them because of the price and because of the f fear of uh, incomplete infrastructure. So I think that it should be really a role for the EU and our member states to invest in this development of the infrastructure, to roll it out faster in accelerated mode, and I would say with the parameters we need. And of course, uh, the best investment is uh, when the investment is long-term and when we would already foresee what we need today for the cars and what we might need in the future for the trucks. But it's not that easy, because I will just give you my uh, one example, which is quite frustrating for me. And uh, when I talk to the transport uh, ministers, I think our discussion on the infrastructure would be exactly this. Mm. But I was at the uh, meeting of the, the ministers of energy on Monday, and, uh, and uh, the ministers discussed uh, quite some time, and in the end watered down uh, our proposals on how many uh, charging stations uh, we need to have uh, uh, in our uh, directive on performance of the buildings. Mm -hmm. If somebody thinks that uh, one parking place equipped uh, with an e-charger for 10 in a shopping center is too much, I'm sorry. I mean, that uh, in this way, we are not going to build uh, this new infrastructure. And I talked to the mayor of Vancouver uh, last week because we've been setting up this global covenant of mayors, the board meeting, and I asked him, so how is it in, in, in Vancouver? Yeah. In Vancouver, it's already now one to five, and they are not shy even imposing it that in private houses. Yeah, well. In private houses, simply it's a building code. They have to have charging facilities for the car. And in that way, of course, you, you build up, I mean, enormous uh, amount of, of, of charging station, but simply, you know, changing the, the building codes. We can discuss about the, the, the costs, which we did. Therefore, we even went for, okay, if you have feeling that this 10 or 20 southern euros is, is too much, let's go for pre-cabling solution, which is much cheaper. But you know that if you are refurbishing big uh, administrative building, the most expensive stuff is to change the cables. So if you don't do it, 
once you are renovating, you will never do it. So that's a little bit where we see that we would need a little bit more of a support also from the industry here. And I'm telling to my transport minister, please talk to your energy colleagues, because <laughs> simply what we do here, it's really irrational. But uh, that's uh, the, the challenge which we have. On the cities and, and the urban, uh, urban planning, uh, I think, and uh, thank you very much for our colleague from London to, to remind us, we have to share much more what we already are doing in Europe and to showcase and, and learn from each other. And I just would like to, to, to highlight the one, one possibility which we would promote much more now as we have this uh, global covenant of uh, mayors uh, uh, set up. We established something which we called one-stop shop for cities uh, on the European Commission website. When we want exactly uh, offer this uh, space for linking up all these initiatives, for proposing these new policies or simply exchanging the best uh, practices. And so I would again send such an invitation to, to all of you. If you have a good ideas, if you have a good policy, share it with others. We have 7,400 mayors under the global covenant of mayors from all over the world. And I believe that we would have many more in the future because non-state actors are more and more important, especially after what we have seen was uh, decided by the President Trump on, on Paris. On data, I, I was before that responsible uh, uh, for uh, digital uh, issues in the Commission, and it was quite clear that the future with the data lies with the two very important rules, that they should be machine-readable and engine-searchable. This should be the rule for all our data collections and, of course, keep them open, keep them, uh, keep them secure, uh, and, uh, uh, and keep them in a shape that they can actually provide the necessary food for thought, for analytics, for providing this uh, good decision. And we see how useful it would be because today in uh, a lot of cities already also in Europe, if you, if, you, if you use your app and ask how quickly I can get from one part of the city to another, the app, give you, the app give you the answer, and it will be different in the morning, it will be different in the noon, and it will be different in Indeed. the evening, thanks to this data. So I think we should definitely do the same for, 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 for tracks. The technologies are already developed, but we need to really collect the data in a way which could be really useful. And the last uh, question on, 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 the, on the target, I think that we have to use all technologies, uh, all the improvement we can get, including in, in the fuel, because the demands are quite steep. We want to reduce by 30% by 2030 greenhouse gas emission from transport, from buildings, and from agriculture. Of course, the most we can get from transport and from buildings. So this is, I would say, the challenge we have to face, and we want to have carbon-neutral world in the second part of the century. So I would say that's uh, the ambition, and this is how I would suggest the corporate strategies would be developed as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Over to you. That's and particularly pay the attention to that, the, the, what the gentleman was saying about natural gas being part of the long term rather than the medium because that will change investor behavior. Okay, just briefly on that, and just I wanted to t say thank you at the end very briefly. Uh, I, it is very difficult to say which is medium term, which is the uh, long term uh, solution. And uh, it is up to the uh, companies, countries to decide which option they are going to go. We are putting all the options there. We have the same arm length to all the fuels as IEA, and it's up to countries to choose which option is the better. Last year, 2016, global CO2 emissions did not increase. They were flat. Very good news. You know which country was the number one country in terms of the bring the 
CO2 emissions down, which is the United States. U.S. was the champion of reducing the CO2 emissions, mainly because of gas replacing coal. Okay, so I think we have to put this in a context. There are different options, but the best one is, of course, giving the energy sector's long-term planning uh, 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 context, having providing right signals to the private sector by the government so that they make the investments accordingly. So we don't exclude any fuels. But for us, important thing is whether or not these steps are helping for a sustainable energy future, future as Madame Brutland said, 1987. Now, I really wanted to finish by thanking the first of our Friends of Europe once again hosting the IEA here, once again uh, having uh, uh, several hundred colleagues here. We are very thankful to you, and especially to uh, Mr. Uh, Vice President. We know how busy he is and my colleagues uh, here. We wanted to, as IEA, we wanted to make a correction between the realities of life, numbers, and the public attention. Mm -hmm. Numbers are big. Trucks are playing a critical role in terms of oil demand and CO2 emissions, but the public attention is unfortunately very small. Trucks are not small things. So therefore, we wanted to put this in a, in a context, and uh, I think there be, uh, we hope that there will be a this report will help to create a momentum among the countries. I hear from my colleagues that many major uh, uh, media outlets already starting to write about this uh, report. Report is, at the, again, you can find the report. It can be much improved, better reports, better detailed analysis, but we want to put the first flag here as the idea that this is a major issue, an issue we have to tackle uh, as the world because one ton of CO2 going to atmosphere from Hamburg or from Jakarta or from Delhi, they have the same effect on all of us. Mm -hmm. Therefore, our next uh, task is, is the IEA. Uh, we are going to work with our new members of IEA family, with Indonesia, India, to design right policies in terms of uh, trucks. And I want to thank again the commission from which we get always inspiration to share with the rest of the world. Thank you very much. Good. It's good to end on a point of good love and energy and expansion because I think that point about moving to other industries is really important actually and the importance of that sharing that will help both Europe and the other countries is going to be vast. I want to bring in the, the President of uh, Fuels Europe who's here, Bella uh, Kellerman, just to say a few words before I, I kind of conclude the event. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Bela Kellerman and that's my pleasure to be here as a newly elected President of Fuels Europe. And this is my first entrance in Brussels as a president. And I want to thanks to all of you for contribution to this event and to the audience as well for the questions. And first of all, the comprehensive study and, and uh, Mr. Birol who delivered this big elephant into the room. And after this event, we cannot say that we don't see the elephant. Maybe we don't know the solution. However, we have to admit that any kind of a complex problems, if you find a simple solution, most probably we are wrong. And this discussion confirming for Fuels Europe as well that we have to be very open and very much listening to all of the stakeholders. And I can promise from in the name of the Fuels Europe that we will be. And we want to be part of the solution and we will do our best to manage this big global challenge, which is called climate change. And in case of a global challenge, we need a global solution. 
and it does not mean that geographically global, but industrial-wise global, and we very, uh, uh, very much thanks for the word that cross-sectoral approach. We do believe that this is which can lead us to the common solution. So thank you very much thank for the part much, part part thank, you, thank, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you very much indeed. Colleagues, I hope, and I'm slightly over time, I just hope that we've enabled you to connect some of the system dots, the policy issues, debate some of the key issues that we need to, and think about the kinds of change, both in policy and practice, that we need to impl implement over the medium to long term. I hope you found this useful. I'm really grateful that we have had the opportunity to host the global launch of this report on the future of trucks. Not a sexy topic, but we know an impactful topic in terms of climate change. And really grateful that we've actually brought something like this out into the open, because I think it's important. Because I think your role has to be that as we develop economic growth further, we need to take a sectoral approach to those areas that we need to keep an eye on, because it won't be all rosy in the garden over the next 50 years. So it's really helpful that we've got the attention on trucks. But it does raise the same issues around public-private public, partnership, but actually we didn't talk about the consumer much. And I think we do need to be thinking about that partnership, which is three-way. And my final point is that let's not underestimate the power of digital. I think we could have a whole session on what digital might do. Perhaps that might be the subject of another conversation with yourselves in the not-too-near future, because I think its pace of change on this agenda is going to be fast and significant. Thank you, colleagues, very much. Don't forget the offer. You heard it here, the Clean Energy Forum. Hopefully next year we'll have an event with you, sir, on it. And so please do feed your ideas and topics on how that should work and whether you want to be involved too. Thank you all and thanks our speakers in the usual manner. Thank you very much. Thank you.